During our recent mission to the Von Boom space station, we were exposed to as yet unidentified radioactive energy. We do not know much more than you do at this point. A new day is done. The day of the Fantastic Four. It's movie reviewing time. With Now Playing's Fantastic Four retrospective series. This is our chance to learn more about our planet and maybe even save it. Part of the Now Playing Marvel Comic Movie Series. This is going to be fun. Hosted by our fantastic movie reviewers, Stuart. This guy doesn't take orders well. Yeah, especially from people who say, I don't take orders well. Jacob. You guys sure you're in the best shape to be doing this? Oh, yeah, we're good. And Arnie. Now we're more like the Terrific Three. But be warned, these podcasts contain spoilers, mild language, and cosmic rays that may mutate your DNA. Listener discretion is advised. Susan, let's not fight. No, let's. Today we're discussing Fant Four Stick. I guess I'll call it Fantastic Four, even though none of the marketing does. I don't think many people are using the word fantastic at all. Certainly not when they're looking at the box office receipts. Starring Miles Teller, Michael B. Jordan, Kate Mara, Jamie Bell, and Toby Kebbell, directed by Josh Trank. You don't know what's coming. It's Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A.? There is no Jacob. There is only... Well, I, I guess Jacob. I don't go by any other name on the show. Yeah, there is no Dana, only Zool, right? Yeah, yeah, straight up Ghostbusters ripoff. I didn't notice this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, there is no Victor, only Doom. Yeah, there is no scriptwriter, only plagiarism. We are talking about the new <laughs> Fantastic Four. Why are we doing this? Why are they doing this? Why does anyone need another attempt <laughs> at this? I mean, we are now celebrating 20 years of having unsuccessful Fantastic Four movie. Yeah, I know why we're doing it, because this is what we do. But yeah, why did Fox do this? Do they really need to maintain the rights to this property that they're just going to put out a bad movie every few years? Yes. What money does it bring them, though? Like, if it makes no money, why hold on to it? They know it doesn't make them money, but one of their executives has gone on the record. They will never give the X-Men rights and presumably Fantastic Four rights. This weekend might have changed their mind, but... They said they would never give them back because Disney is too strong. They have Star Wars. They have Marvel. They have Pixar. Yeah, heaven forbid Disney puts out a Fantastic Four movie. Like, that is the tilting point, isn't it? Once Disney gets Fantastic Four, they're really going to rule the world. No, it's a matter of giving them yet another opening weekend that puts Fox at a disadvantage. And you know what? I think that this movie might have been the victim of a Marvel hate campaign. I do feel like early the word got out that this was in the real shitter and they were making one of the worst comic book movies ever. And there were memes of the old Corman Fantastic Four laughing at this new one and all. That's got to be Marvel, right? This movie isn't nearly as disastrous as you'd believe judging from all the Gamergate hate labeled onto this. Yeah, 9% on Rotten Tomatoes, I think we'll debate if it earns that low of a rating. I don't think so, though. Not at all. I'm not going to debate it right now. This movie <laughs> is already way overhated on. Yeah, I no, I agree. It is not nearly the disaster. I mean, I was prepared for it. Believe me, nobody was less excited than me to watch a fourth iteration of Fantastic Four. But I'm going to just put it out there right now. 
do not believe the hype. This is not one of the worst superhero movies. It's not the worst Fantastic Four. I'll say that right up front. I think it is. I'm going to represent that voice. I will say that I agree with you guys. This feels like an assassination attempt from top to bottom. Part of it is from Marvel. They canceled the Fantastic Four comic books about a year ago. They won't have Fantastic Four in print because they think it will aid Fox's movie. They won't make Fantastic Four toys. A number of licensing companies that I cover at Marvelicious Toys have said Marvel won't let them do Fantastic Four or X-Men. Every so often, an X-Men character sneaks through. Fantastic Four is verboten. And the fact that there's an Esquire profile, you put Miles Teller on the cover and start with Miles Teller as a dick in the article, there is, I believe, a conspiracy. And I went in with a very open mind. And I'm not blaming any one person. It takes a village to fuck up a movie this bad. <laughs> but this is the worst Fantastic Four film by far, and we will get into it. Okay, just to clarify, you're saying even the 1994 Corman. Yes, I am. Oh, that's going to be a tough sell. That was more coherent. It may not have had the budget. It actually had equal special effects half the time. That's interesting. I think we're going to get a lot of diversity then on this podcast. But the question remains, why reboot? Well, we've reviewed those previous two. You know why you reboot. Well, they weren't good. So I guess they feel because Fox owns them, they must do something. Why not a TV series? Why not a Netflix series or something? They don't have the license for any of that. Oh, okay. I do feel like actually watching this movie, it felt like a TV pilot more than it felt like a cohesive, complete story. And do we know how much of that is? is Fox's fault, the screenplay's fault, and the director who has now disowned this cut. Like, that was the most damning thing to me is Josh Trank, the director, did a tweet. He later deleted it, but nothing gets deleted once you put it on the internet, saying that this film would not be getting the reviews it is getting if they allowed him to do what he wanted. There is so much behind-the-scenes drama on this, and I've crammed it in since seeing this movie Thursday night. I have just deep-dived into who did what to whom, and of course, there's a lot of cross-story. There's a lot of he said, she said going on, but... What is more than likely is Josh Trank came in and he had an agreement. They signed off on his script. And according to anonymous high place professionals quoted in reputable publications, I'm not talking about just comic sites and not the Latino review, which seems to always break every comic book story. Yeah, not the star or anything like that. But according to legitimate news sites, at the beginning of filming, Fox started to intervene. Now, also according to those sites, Trank was a little bit disruptive on set. He was combative with his cast. He was combative with the production crew. He apparently set a fire in his condo that they were renting for him. So maybe they added that line of it. There's a line about Victor Von Doom, like setting fire to the servers because he got upset. So that perhaps that was based on what was going on on set. Let's start with the basic facts that I guarantee you, and then we'll get into the he said, she said in the movie, because there's specific things where I see it happening. But the fact is, Josh Trank was hired for this before Chronicle came out. Oh, really? The execs at Fox were seeing Chronicle. They liked what they saw. They had no idea it was going to open at number one, but they were really impressed with his take on a brand new superhero story and said, we're rebooting Fantastic Four. What's your concept? He's not a Fantastic Four fan, self-admitted, but he had some ideas about 
wanting to do a Cronenberg-esque body horror. Okay, you know what? Stuart and I saw this movie together. We went to a free screening, and afterwards I said, now I want the Cronenberg body horror version of this film. I totally got that vibe. Yeah, there's heavy elements of the fly here, obviously. Absolutely. I was getting that as well. And they agreed to this. He was pretty much in charge of casting. He worked with Simon Kinneberg, who helped shepherd X-Men First Class with Fox. And lots of others. I mean, he did the one you guys like. Days of Future Past? No, Last Stand. Oh, yes. <laughs> you gave it a green arrow, too. Uh, begrudgingly. Yeah. But internet rumors abound that apparently are true, like Victor Von Doom, his name was going to be Victor Domashev. Instead of Doom, a little on the nose there, and people didn't like that, and Victor was going to be a computer hacker. That line about setting fire to the mainframes is likely a remnant of when he was a hacker trying to do social justice through computers. They excised a lot of that, and then this film underwent heavy reshoots Early this year, I mean, we didn't have a trailer of this come January. They were reshooting for enough time that most films could be shot from start to finish in. There's rumors Trank was banned from the editing bay. What is also a fact is during this time, Trank was removed from the Star Wars picture he was supposed to do. Did he quit? Was he fired? That depends who you ask. But most sources cite that his disruptive behavior towards Fox and the pre- results of this film not even the box office just knowing what happened was the reason he's not on star wars maybe he doesn't like the studio system maybe the studio system doesn't like him but this caused him to pull out of lucasfilm's franchise and i could tell there was a problem right away i went to see this in 3d it's not in 3d everybody knows you spend a million dollars on a cheapo conversion or 10 million dollars on a better one so you get those 3d dollars it screams to me fox had no confidence that they didn't convert this yeah i agree but at the same time arnie i don't feel like the stories you're ratting out are much different than the stories i heard about on the early x-men movies and brian singer i mean i think problematic directors can create bad blood with the studio but when the movie performs well at the box office it's a different thing what happens to me it seems like anyway is that marvel poisoned the water against the fans and fox didn't feel like fighting them by putting dollars behind this i think there was a lot of vote of no confidence and that's why i'm not going to blame trank I'm not going to blame Fox. Everybody's involved. There was definitely meddling going on. Everybody admits that. And I think it's quite clear where it happens. There's parts of this movie that feel totally disconnected from other parts. Yep. Which is why I think Corman's is even better because at least that felt like the same show. At points, I honestly felt like I could have walked out of the movie theater to use the bathroom, gone into a different theater, perhaps The Gift, and had an equal cohesive movie experience. Well, how packed was your theaters? Like I said, Stuart and I went to a screening. Even that, that was free, and that wasn't full. I saw this in Toronto. I was up there for a <laughs> Faith No More concert, and we have now playing duties to do. So I went to a large screen theater, almost sold out. Oh, okay. I saw in the credits some of this was filmed up there. Perhaps they're supporting the new Hollywood, Canada. Yes, but I didn't support the domestic box office for this. I put my money towards the international. <laughs> I couldn't believe how packed it was. I actually was 
taking my time getting there. I didn't pre-buy the tickets. I'm like, the buzz on this thing, I thought it would be empty, and I was lucky to get two seats together for Marjorie and I. Well, Jacob's right, though. You saw it where it was filmed. So a lot of those opening audiences could have been people that worked on the shoot. Well, that would explain some of the embarrassed, chagrined looks in the audience then. I just thought that they were embarrassed for what was on the screen. Really? You think this movie's terrible? I think this movie is a debacle. Yeah, I I agree it's a debacle. I don't know if that makes it worse than Corman, though. Yes, worse than Corman. I think that this is bonfire of the vanities level catastrophe which isn't that bad either a book of the making of this film 10 years from now would be far more interesting than this film itself it's not to say i hate everything about this i'll go through it i will praise the things that i feel are praiseworthy but this is the worst movie i have seen in theaters this year and Oh, stop. Jupiter Ascending. Oh, shit, you're right. (laughs) Human Centipede 3. I didn't see that in theaters. Oh, I did. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I think I've rewatched Human Centipede 3 before this. I'm really struggling. Oh, man, thing. I was going to struggle if this was the worst. Just, again, not funny bad. Not that everybody involved was incompetent and had no money, but that... Too many cooks spoiled this broth to the point of rancid. I disagree right up front. There's a lot that I like here, including Josh Trank. I liked Chronicle. You know, as far as a uh, found footage. footage, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a thin story, but I thought he had some good visual effects. I thought that it had a great star in it. I was happy to see that he's bringing Michael B. Jordan into this world. He was a real standout of Chronicle. And I think depleting the Tim story, quote-unquote, fun... And trying to go for something serious is already starting it off on a much stronger footing than anything I'd seen before in this franchise. Yeah, Chronicle, it was all right. Like, I would be interested to see what the director could do with more money. Well, now that I have, I might take that back. But yeah, he did what he could with that film and it could have used more story. I would give Chronicle a not recommend. Not a fan of Chronicle. I gave it a shot. It's more in the storytelling, the found footage conceits, the way things just jump around too much. I found it unpleasant, but I did find the actors engaging. It would be a weaker not recommend, but clearly on the red side for me. I wasn't holding that against Josh Tran coming in. But yeah, to go more realistic, forget about, you know, that original Fantastic Four origin story, trying to beat the commies to space. This is out of the ultimate universe where they try to make it more realistic, try to update these stories. And yeah, I feel like that darker take would fit this universe more than the original Fantastic Four take of the space race and beating the Reds. I was kind of going back to Amazing Spider-Man versus Spider-Man. Yes, this was the ultimate take. For people who think this is a betrayal of the comics, so much of the beginning of this movie is directly from the Ultimate Universe Fantastic Four that I give it a lot. I don't give it a lot of creativity because from Reed working on it in his garage as a kid to Dr. Storm and bringing him in to working with Doom to, you know, there's so much here that is right out of that. But you know what's different is the tone. Because even those Ultimate Comics had a bit of whimsy and they were, well, fantastical. And this, the equation I had, looking at Fantastic Four, the comics, and looking at this movie, would be akin to somebody saying, let's reboot Scooby-Doo and let's make it like Paranormal Activity. 
The dog's just a dog, and the ghosts are really scary, and we kill Daphne halfway through. I'm not sure I follow that logic, <laughs> but I do, I do sense this. What Josh Trank is trying to do with the superhero genre is what I'd like to see done. He doesn't want to see powers make people feel special and magical and take you on a fantasy. It's horrific. It's scary. And nobody has tried this since, dare I bring it up, Ang Lee and Hulk. And that was really the movie I was thinking about watching this. Now, I did wonder how much of this was an assassination. 9% on Rotten Tomatoes, really? Yeah, worse than Howard the Duck? No way, no Ridiculous. way. Ridiculous, yeah. Well, I enjoy Howard the Duck more, but... I have sat through every superhero film. This is an <laughs> outrage to say this is one of the worst. It's an outrage. It is one of the worst, so you can be outraged at me. Well, then let's get into it. <laughs> uh, you give him the plot, and then we'll, we'll have that battle. Since he was a boy, Miles Teller's character Reed Richards had been trying to break the secret of teleportation. With the aid of his grade school friend Ben Grimm, played by Jamie Bell, Reed succeeds in teleporting matchbox cars. But what he doesn't know is he's actually cracked interdimensional travel. But this doesn't escape the notice of Dr. Franklin Storm, head of the Baxter Foundation. His team had also successfully transported things to another dimension, but had not been able to bring it back. So he recruits Reed to join his daughter Sue, played by Kate Mara, and his son Johnny, played by Michael B. Jordan, to recreate this machine and send humans into this other dimension they call Planet Zero. Also joining is former Baxter Foundation employee Victor Von Doom, played by Toby Kebbell. Victor had mostly cracked the secret, but was disgusted by the Baxter Foundation's militaristic motives and left. Wooed back by Dr. Storm, he joins the team, and one montage later, they have succeeded in making their teleporter. But they get upset when they find out they're not going to be the first people transported to the other dimension. Foundation board member Dr. Harvey Allen wants NASA astronauts to take the journey. So a little drunk, Victor, Johnny, Reed, and Reed drunk dials Ben to help him go to this alternate dimension. There, they find the world to be unstable, primordial, and Victor puts his hand in some green energy and the planet starts to explode. Victor is seemingly killed, and the other three barely escape thanks to help from Stu Storm, who they just left back on Earth. But the three and Sue are struck with energy that changes them. Now Sue is turning invisible. Johnny's body is catching on fire. Reed has enormous elasticity to his limbs, and Ben has turned into a virtually immovable lump of rocks. Reed escapes his bounds, and when he sees what happens to Ben, flees Area 57, where they were the military's prisoners, and sets about to find a cure. A year passes during which the military successfully weaponize Ben as a weapon of mass destruction, taking out tanks and people alike, and Johnny as a air defense system flying faster than and taking out drones. They've even created suits that help Johnny and Sue control their powers, and Sue can now create force fields as well as turn invisible. But when Johnny's about to be sent on his first live mission, Dr. Storm recruits Sue to find Reed, who's been hiding in South America. Ben, pissed at his former friend for abandoning him, brings Reed in, and Reed agrees to try to help his friends by fixing the quantum generator and again sending people to the other dimension, which may hold the cure to their ailments. But the team that goes finds there's a survivor over there. Victor was not dead, but kept alive by the power of the planet. They bring him back in order to help him, but find that Victor is more than willing to destroy Earth so that his world may live. He's lost faith in humanity due to 
environmentalist reasons. He's scenes cut out of the film due to those. <laughs> yeah, I'm taken back to the plot of Mission Impossible 4 where the best way to save humanity was to nuke it. So he opens a portal to the other dimension that works like the Bifrost Bridge in Thor, that if it's open long enough, it's going to create a black hole on Earth. And so the four former friends must team up and combine their powers to take out Victor, which they do. And then they come back newly empowered, telling the military they're in charge now and getting their own lab, trying to come up with a name for themselves as credits roll. And those credits roll with nothing happening after them. Yeah, shocker. I mean, one of the many ways you know this is not a Marvel movie proper. They might have the tag here at the beginning, but yeah, no mid-credits, no end-credit scene, no Stan Lee cameo, I don't think. No, none of that. Okay, we were discussing if we missed it, but we didn't notice him. Do they have toys? Is there tie-ins to this at all? No, I just told you, Marvel won't allow it. Okay, nothing, huh? Yeah, if you, if you want to tie in, go to Denny's and have a Dr. Doom lava cake. <laughs> I will tell you, Orange Crush got a licensing thing. You know you're pretty low on the totem pole when it's Crush. Each flavor <laughs> of Crush has a character, but that's all I have seen. Mm-hmm. And Denny. again, I think that goes to marketing of this movie. Fox spent so much money on reshoots they were cutting their losses. I'm sure they spent millions to market it. I'm sure they would have spent millions more had they not already spent what they did. I think somebody at Fox decided they were throwing good money after bad. And so no 3D, no tie-ins. I mean, X-Men last year even had chocolate-covered pretzels. Don't ask me why. And I think they had Twinkies. So the fact that Fantastic Four is nothing, there's a vote of no confidence there. Yeah. Although when you see the Fox logo and it fades, the last thing to fade is an F there. They're trying to work in eh, little jokes here and there. I feel like jokes are at a minimum here. There's a joke about a flying car at the beginning. They use some soundtrack cues like the four seasons and four tops. But by and large, I'm happy to say this is not a superhero movie with a lot of jokes. That F is nothing new. They left the X on the last X-Men film. They're just calling back to what they did for X-Men. In a lot of ways, really. Some more successfully than others. I think this 20th Century Fox logo with the F is perhaps the single most successful concept. <laughs> wow. See, I, I like the opening here. I, I don't believe it's 2008. Or rather, I can't believe that in 2008, people are still using those computers and those joysticks to make anything. But I like kids coming together for a science project. Yeah, I like this opening stuff, too. Like, I was so dreading this movie. I, I didn't read reviews, but I had heard the buzz. I had heard about the 9% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was surprised. I was digging this stuff with young Reed in elementary school and meeting Ben and building that up that friendship. And then they jump ahead. And they're in high school and they're friends now working on the science project. I liked all this kid stuff at the beginning. It, it worked really well to, you know, to set up these characters, to set up Reed as the genius and the way he's scribbling in his book. And, of course, Ben is the, he's, he's the poor kid. He, his family works at the junkyard and they just scrap stuff all day. I was enjoying these scenes to a point. I really liked the jerky teacher. That said, I can't decide if this is a character trait or just poor writing that on career day, Reed gets up there and says his career is teleportation, when in fact, that career has a name. It's called physicist. And if Reed is such a genius, you'd think he'd know that word. 
Yeah, he's a kid. Yeah, we're going to debate whether he framed the question properly. The point is he's at a school that doesn't appreciate how smart he is. Agreed. Completely. They're making fun of him. And you know what? I agree with you guys. I kind of like this opening. I think that it doesn't have much payoff at all, but it does show the beginning of Reed and Ben's friendship. They're in the same class, but don't seem to know each other. Reed is stealing parts from Ben's family's junkyard. They did throw, I don't know if you noticed this, just for the people that like Easter eggs, in the comics, Ben Grimm is Jewish, and he's got a menorah, his family's got a menorah up on a bookshelf. I saw that, and I also heard his brother, his abusive brother, say it's <laughs> clobberin' time as he's about to administer a beating. Yes, oh, that's right. And they set up in the dynamic here that when they first became friends, they were going to hurt each other. That Ben, you know, I I think the first thing that Reed says to him is, don't kill me. This is a relationship that when they're reborn as superheroes is going to be very similar. Although, obviously, due to lots of futzing in the editing room, I'm not sure that it really pays off. But I do feel like this is a setup for who these characters are going to be. And I like these two. I like these two more than I ever did in the previous versions. I mean, was this the case? Was Michael Chiklis and Ian Griffod supposed to be besties? I, I don't ever get that from those old movies. Yeah, they were good friends beforehand. Ben was the pilot for Reed, but... I got right away that they were good friends because of that back and forth about Reed's relationship with Sue. It is the ultimate universe that really retconned this. This is exactly from the ultimate universe that Ben kept bullies from beating up Reed and Reed and Ben just kind of hung out and Ben watched while Reed was building fantastic teleportation machines in his garage. I enjoy this as a conceit. It was giving me a big Super 8 vibe, and I was liking that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, these kids were good in their roles. My one complaint against it is it feels like it's 1988 and not (laughs) 2008. It's weird to think that this was only seven years ago and that when we jump to the high school scene, that's present day. That was a couple months ago that they're just at a science fair with a cymatic matter shuttle. I just thought it was weird that that teacher was still judging. <laughs> like I'm like, you went, what, from elementary school to high school now? I guess you want to keep that consistency. This is the guy that's always been keeping Reed down. This is his motivation. To, well, Sue will try to tell us what his motivations are later. I don't really get it, but fine. Okay, this teacher's still around. He is called a dick here by the little kids, so maybe Esquire <laughs> was right. I don't know. But we this is our introduction to Miles Teller. He looks a little old to be a 10th, 11th grader, whatever he's supposed to be here. But But uh, I like this actor. I don't know if you guys saw Whiplash or Rabbit Hole, but he's turned in some good performances in indie movies. I'm not sure how I feel about him as Reed Richards. On the one hand, even for the Ultimates version, he feels a bit young to me, but there's nothing that stands out or angers me about his performance. Now, he's pretty much the only one of the Fantastic Five, I'll call them, that gets a lot of focus here. He's the only actor that has a lot to do in the final cut of this film. I imagine everybody had more to do in some other cut. But as it is, he and I don't know if it's his performance or the script, he comes off as very bland. I just go with him because 
that's where the script is taking me. Yeah, I don't know if I ever feel like he's a genius. He, I think Bland's right. He might be the smart kid in class. I don't know. Play it more autistic or something? That, that's how I felt like when he was a little kid in elementary school. Like, yeah, he didn't know what a physicist was because he's so obsessed with being a teleporter. When he grows up, yeah, maybe it's because he's been hanging out with Ben Grimm. It softened him up a bit. Yeah, the first thing I remember from science fairs, and I have traumatic science fair stories. Mm, me too. But my memory of everything is that you don't just show your machine. You show your work. And while Armin Shimmerman may have been a judgmental idiot, if Reed had actual papers there describing the physics and the science behind his teleportation, given what his presentation was, I actually agree with that teacher. It's like a poor David Copperfield trick. I saw no science in his presentation. And you'd think that being the uber-genius social misfit he is, that would be all he'd speak. We don't really know whether he had it or not because they've passed along, you know, he damages school property, so they're not even considering him anymore. And I I don't think that they ever would anyway. There's just seems to be a bias there. And I had teachers like that. I will say, I can think of rivalries where I had the same math teacher for three out of my four high school years and I always barely passed that class. We just hated each other. It was combative. So I could actually relate to this conflict here. There are people that can appreciate it, and this is also our introduction to Dr. Storm and his daughter. And this is again from the ultimate universe that Dr. Storm is heading this research up and Sue is there. But not the interracial aspect. Like I think this was, uh, there's people that, oh, they're trying to be so PC, but they changed it up here where Johnny and Sue, they're foster brothers and sisters here. I have no problem with changing the race of a character. I know that there's a whole bunch of people. It probably hurt the box office that there's that contingent of comic book fans who just refuse to accept that Johnny Storm is now African-American. They were crying out when Heimdall became black. And yeah, I don't get it. Heimdall's a much lesser ranked character in the Marvel Universe than Johnny Storm. But all I'll say is it felt clumsy to me that they had to insert a conversation in this movie as it is in this cut explaining that Sue is adopted from Kosovo. Whereas if they were all black... You wouldn't have to have that inserted conversation. And if you didn't have that conversation and you just went one's black, one's white, yeah, we could assume maybe the mother was white. Maybe there's an adoption. Who knows? I live in a world where I see two different colored children as siblings all the time. Or I think you try to play it up as part of the character that she is the foster kid and she's always struggled with like feeling like family because gosh, if you thought Ant-Man was speaking down about what the themes there were there, this film does the same thing. Family, work together, family, work together over and over. There's a ton of cutscenes about it. There's cutscene after cutscene of sibling rivalry between Johnny and Sue. And one of the lines that Josh Trank did like four hours of interviews with Kevin Smith. And most of it's not about this movie, sadly, but one of the things he talked about a scene in this movie that's not in this movie where Johnny just kind of blows up and they hash out their adoptive relationship and Johnny's jealous because his parents chose Sue, whereas they just had him. Well, to me, it's weird because I watch House of Cards and 
Sue is a reporter character that's on that show, and her father is the cook at a rib joint that's always talking to Kevin Spacey. So it was just kind of weird that they must have gotten the job as a, a package team. I, I don't know who came first, but, uh, you know, I like all of the actors in here, and I think they've made Dr. Storm black because Trank wanted to bring in his friend, co-star of Chronicle, and the best actor in this film, Michael B. Jordan, who is terrific. I guarantee you, five years from now, that man will be holding an Oscar. He is the best performer in here. Again, though, I think this film doesn't give him enough to do. In the first act, he plays the very stereotypical angsty teen. He's racing his car. We don't know why. Did you notice the Super Mario Brothers fire flower hanging from his dashboard? Nice little foreshadow there. Did not notice, but kind of cool. I like him in these opening acts. I really like him when he's forced after the car wreck to go work at the lab, and he kind of has a spat with Victor. He gets a couple good one-liners in there. He's great. I did kind of roll my eyes, though, that, oh, he, yeah, he's not a scientist, but he's really good at building stuff. So we'll put him on this, like, teleportation billion-dollar project. Well, that makes sense. I mean, if his main passion is outfitting cars, they have, like, a Fast and Furious little moment here. And, uh, you know, that's how we're introduced to him as he flames out in his homemade <laughs> souped-up Toyota. But that makes sense to me. Yeah, he spends all his time in the shop. That's what he could do. I'm glad not everyone here has the brain power to open up portals to new worlds. I think that would be a reach. And yet, Dr. Storm says Johnny's IQ is huge and there's nothing he can't build. He's just not a physicist. He has a genius for machinery. If he was an X-Men, he'd probably be Forge. Yeah, and I like that. <laughs> I just felt that was forced. I'm, I'm like, how are they going to force Ben back into the story? Because he leaves, and I like Jamie Bell in this movie. He's barely in it, though. But I like his Ben Grimm. I like that they didn't get some big jock to play him like they did with Chickless. Like, this is someone that's going to transform into this character. He leaves. I, I, I was wondering, we'll get him back eventually. But I'm like, oh, is he going to be some kind of genius they find out that bring him in? No, I think it's played just right that he started the project and he's watching his friend move away. He has a really good moment where they move into the dorm and he knows, he knows before Reed knows that this is the end, that even though Oyster Bay is only 40 minute train ride away, this is goodbye. And yeah, Reed will send selfies with him and the model, you know, saying, hey, our project's almost done. But, uh, you know, you can see it in his eyes. Jamie Bell is going to stay behind in the scrapyard. And that's really tough. You know, I think that that was a really nice relationship. And I'll give the actors so much credit for conveying this in just a few seconds, because everything we've described, the childhood scenes, the recruitment scene, and Ben saying goodbye to Reed, 12 minutes of this film. It's beyond economical. I actually think it shortchanges it. I don't get enough of the adult characters to make me believe Ben and Reed are really besties. We get the one scene where they're saying goodbye, and that is it. I like his scene where he gets the text, too, in the picture. He has a really, it's, you're right, these are just brief moments. I feel like the movie can't wait to get them to their powers, but I could have used 10 more minutes of the setup of the lab at Baxter and all of these character dynamics. I like this team. This is the first time that I've liked this crew as a whole complete unit. And you're right. It's five people. It's not just Johnny, Sue, Reed, and to a much lesser extent, Ben. There's Victor Von Doom as well. He's as much a part of the team as anyone. And this is where I feel like we get 
creative editing, rewrites, whatever. We'll find out at the end of this, he maybe it's the green goo, the, the secret of the use that he falls into that makes him an environmentalist. But I guess he drops a few lines like he's the troublemaker. Dr. Allen, Tim Blake Nelson's character, like is looking through the paperwork, the proposal to build this teleporter and sees his name, doesn't want him because he's caused problems in the past. But we find out he's actually smarter than Reed. He was more advanced than Reed was at a young age. I was getting a real genius callback because... Oh, yeah, what doesn't give you a real genius callback? Science is real genius. When you have a school of geniuses and you have the new young genius who's just come into the school from home and finds out that the other person on his project is a experienced genius who came in younger than him and scored higher on the test scores... It's exactly the same setup. Only real genius had better payoff. I'm not debating real genius, but I, again, I like these five. I like, you know, yeah, that he's threatened by Reed. He calls his contribution a, a, what, a baking soda volcano. I thought that was very funny. Uh, Brady Bunch reference. I liked that they did point out that he was with aluminum foil and speaker wire about to destroy the earth had his calculations been off a little bit. I mean, I kind of fear the Hadron Collider. I fear a lot of things destroying the earth, and that's one of them. And so that really struck a chord with me. Yeah, and the other thing that's going to cause their rivalry, not only are they jockeying to be the smartest, but then there's Sue caught in the middle. I'm not sure how much she likes... Either one of them, honestly. She is kind of bored by people. Yeah, she'd rather listen to her music. Yeah, they establish her as being fascinated by patterns. And I think you catch her interest if you are more unpredictable. You know, she can read people in patterns. That's actually how she'll catch Reed later. Although we're told that's how she catches him. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I would like to have established that more. But I like her as a character here. I think her introduction here, listening to Portishead in the library, all of that. I can't believe it, but I like all of these characters. She's much better than Jessica Alba. I'll give you that. I think she's a little standoffish, and I think somehow she's a genetic clone of Elizabeth Shue because she looks just like Elizabeth Shue from the 80s. But she is good here with, again, what little she's given to do. And I like the character moments we've gotten so far. The stuff is kids, this rivalry, the trying to get Sue's attention. I've liked all that. It's this first act is going to feel really long. You're saying they're trying to get their powers as soon as possible. It didn't feel that way to me. No, 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 no. I didn't say that. I'm saying the pressure from the studio is to cut this down to get them to that moment as fast as possible. I wasn't in a rush. No, and I like the characters' moments. It's that they replace them with, like, all these montages of them, like, fist bumping or trying to fist bump, at least. Reed doesn't get that. Those montages should be scenes, and I bet you they were. I don't know. This whole thing, just to tell you guys, I went back and looked at the times on this. This movie is short. It's really short for a superhero movie. Yeah, it's 100 minutes long. Yeah, and literally it's 50 minutes before they get to the planet, which will then soon give them their powers. Half this movie is getting there, and truthfully for me, getting there is not half the fun. I was taken back to another movie that may be a little bit controversial for me to Red Arrow, but Unbreakable. In certain ways, I like the languid pace, and I like that they're going through the trouble of doing all this scientific setup and establishing the world in which they're working. On the other hand... 
there's no secret. This movie's called Fantastic Four. I know exactly what's going to happen and that the feet drag so much getting there. This film is not the Fantastic Four. It's the path to Fantastic Four. It's Fantastic Four Origins. Reed Richards. Fantastic Four Begins. Yeah. yeah. But this is the best stuff. I agree with you, Stuart. This is the best stuff. What's so weird, though, is that the people working at the Baxter building here, Franklin and his group, they haven't been able to bring anything back. That's why they recruit Reed. He's able to do teleport and then bring it back. So that's the last missing piece. Yeah, have these character moments. Don't build up this mystery, whether this machine's going to work and do montage after montage of them, like, putting pieces together and building the helmets. I don't care about that. I know it's going to work. That's why they got Reed. And I think Sue is given the short shrift in everything in this movie. We already talked in our previous Fantastic Four podcast about how Invisible Woman, she drew the short straw for the powers. But what is her part of this project? She's sewing the outfits. Yes. (laughs) That's always been the case, right? That was true all the way back to Corman. Well, it was true in Corman. Originally, it was Reed who did it. And then later, when they're going to the planet, she's left behind. For a movie that I see as trying to push social boundaries and be post-racial, its treatment of Susan is downright 1960s. Now, I know Trank didn't want to hire Kate Mara, and it was forced on him by the studio, but I think that shows through in his treatment of the character. Leaving her back home, it's comes off to me as really setting women back in superhero movies. Oh, come on. They're competing. They're not really on her level. She is standoffish. I don't think that they know how to approach her. I don't get the sense that she's not invited because they don't think she's smart enough. They're intimidated by her. It's troubling, though. Like, after Ant-Man, again, where there's no good reason for Hope Van Dyke to not get the suit until the very end. It's just this contrivance. And they do it here. Like, Sue Storm doesn't get to go on that first journey. They find some way to bring Ben back, which I don't get, but she'll still get power somehow. I, I guess there is sploosh that splashed <laughs> on her when they came back. I don't know why she has powers. I really thought she was going to do a solo trip to go try to rescue Victor, and the same thing would happen to her. But no, it's they all get drunk and bro out and yeah. go without her. Isn't that true to life? Do you really think that they would have drunk dialed her? Yes, that is who you drunk dial. The guys are being dicks. They're one-upping one another. They want to be the first. NASA's going to take away their glory, so they're going to go do it. And Reed is, you know, a gentleman enough to call the guy that got him started on the project to begin with to tag along. I don't feel like they know Sue well enough to call her, and I don't think this movie is saying she's not smart enough to be one of the boys. No, but I think that is the message you get watching this is, yeah, we're going to get the guy that works at the junkyard instead of the super smart scientist who helped build this machine. She saves them. She brings them back. Actually, without her, they would all be there. You could have given that job to Franklin and made her one of the team. This is the Fantastic Four. I think she should have been in it from the beginning. She should be going there. She wanted to teleport with them. She was as disappointed as the rest. The only difference is she had faith in her father. While the others decide to get drunk and hijack the machine, she's the only one who says, and again, it's a line, because despite being 50 minutes, we're not going to devote much time to anything. She's like, well, give my dad time to try to figure it out. He's not going to figure it out. Victor has it pegged that Franklin, despite owning the foundation, has a board that he answers to. In the end, he's an employee 
who has to do what the board says, and the board is going to send astronauts. They're not going to send the big brains that made the thing. In fact, I side with the board. You don't send the mind that could actually save people if they're trapped there. Yeah, but it was why they were into it. I mean, that was for them, it was part of the appeal. They have a monologue where they talk about the men that walked on the moon aren't the men that put them there and that they want to be both. I get that. That was actually a really convincing speech. And it does help that they're younger, they're more brash. They would want that glory. If this was the Fantastic Four where they're all in their 40s, like those previous ones, or 30s at least, maybe not. But yeah, these are people just out of high school, and they would make these rash decisions. And what they're talking about, we haven't gotten into yet, but is a concept I really like, that there's this planet zero, that there is sort of a, an Earth within our Earth, within the molecules. I don't know if it's crystal skull or from beyond, but it's kind of a fun concept to think that there's this anti-world that's just like Earth uh, in a primordial state and that we could go to it by punching a hole through our reality into it. Yeah, in the comics, they call this the negative zone. Here, they call it planet zero. It's a much better way to give them their powers than cosmic rays. Interdimensional travel is to the new millennium what space travel was in the 50s. So I'll go with that, that we don't understand it and we have to give them their powers somehow. So... Let's do it this way. We will definitely talk, though, about how much that planet really plays into this. Because on the one hand, Franklin, he's standing around all the time making these speeches and saying these Mr. Miyagi-like things. This planet will answer questions we don't even know how to ask yet. He sounds really smart, but it's really doublespeak that reminds me, honestly, of the Sphinx from Mystery Men. In the end, I don't really know the practical application. The best thing I get from this is that humans have screwed up Earth so badly that we can flee to another world now because we're going to all die here. I think they're looking for resources, yeah. some kind of alternative fuel. Uh, yeah, I don't get the sense that this is like the day after tomorrow style destruction going on. It's lip service. Like so much of this film, it's lip service that, yes, they are going to find like more gasoline or something over there. It's an underdeveloped concept, but I, to me, it's pretty clear. Basically, the military is going to f see this as something to exploit and to deplete and to bring back to earth that they you know the door is open because of these kids it's shut because the kids are the only ones that know how to open it and the lab blows up but the whole goal for nasa is to go in there and to take all of the things that could be made into energy and to use it here and you know you call this planet zero i call it the dark world from thor because it's pretty boring like when we get there <laughs> It's some jagged cliffs. I could go to Vasquez Rocks where they film like every sci-fi film in the 50s and 60s and see that same kind of landscape. It, I, I guess they are going for this primordial world, like what Earth might have looked like before life developed. But it's, yeah, it's kind of windy and dusty. And there's ooze everywhere. There, there's this green energy slime. Yeah, we're going to only spend two scenes here. And in the first one, it's very clear that it's covered in a green yeah, liquid-like matter that Victor Von Doom intentionally sticks his hands into. And then when we come back to it later into the film, that's all gone. I take it to mean that this is what turns Victor evil, or at least, if not evil, at least obsessed with energy and power. It's a power source that keeps him alive when everyone else goes back. 
I don't know if you've seen Solaris, where it's like this landmass that's actually the alien can communicate with the astronauts and driving them all mad. But that's what I feel like this ooze is. Like, is this the life form? Is this actually the aliens on this planet? There seems to be some kind of intelligence. They, When Doctor Doom is covered in this stuff, he is no longer Victor. He's only Doom. It, it feels like it's this hive mind that's going to take over. But why it gives all of them individual weird powers, I don't get. I like that explanation. We've had this conversation several times before. In the Corman one... It was their moods coming through in the powers in Tim's stories. It was random. Here, I actually find it cool that a bunch of rocks were hitting Ben, and so he merged with the rocks. Johnny was on fire, so he became one with fire. The stretching and invisibility is a bit more of a stretch, but... She wasn't there. That's why she's invisible. No one noticed her. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's her point in the movie. But I think that's the best explanation I've ever seen. And again, to go back to the fly, it's very Brendel fly. They're in the teleportation machine with fire. Fire becomes part of their DNA. Mm -hmm. And here, when they get back, is my favorite part of the film. And this is where I think Josh Trank comes through the most. He's. I'm sure the, all the beginning has been him, but it's felt like a Cliff Notes version of something I would like to see while at the same time dragging. I can't explain a fix for that. <laughs> yes. But here, when we get back and Reed Richards is strapped to a table with his limbs distended and he can't move his fingers, he's, his muscles don't know how to react, and Johnny is screaming while he's on fire, and Ben is a pile of rocks that can't even move. He can just yell from under the pile, and he's starting to figure out how to form the rock movement. Again, it's Scooby-Doo goes to paranormal activity, but it's cool. It's a movie I would like to see. I wanted more of this stuff. This was the Cronenberg part of the film where, yeah, it looks like they're drugging Reed so they could see how far they could keep stretching him. Like every time he comes awake, they just drug him more and his limbs are all over the place. And then he climbs into the shaft, the ventilation shaft. And like you could see his torso stretching and you see that mound of rocks. That's the thing. And he like hatches and it's this weird stop motion effect that I actually kind of liked. I don't, I don't know if that's what they're going for, but when he first hatches, it's real jerky. And I like that it's actually kind of scary. And I like that aspect of it. Yeah, the yelling and and all that is Johnny's on fire. I wanted more in Area 57. I wanted this developed more, and it goes by so quickly. This is the point. This is it. Up to this point, this movie is a solid recommend. Mm. This movie is strong. It is well acted. It has invested me in the characters. I was bored as shit. (laughs) I'm letting you know I'm not. And I think a difference is some people can give a big pass to something if it's funny and if there's fight scenes. And the beginning of this movie has neither. But I liked the setup of this movie. It did remind me of Ang Lee's Hulk. And now that we're seeing powers that make them monstrous, I'm really into this movie. And this is where the bottom falls out. This is where I'll give you this movie stops being solid. My problem is I know the material. I know where it's going, that it took 50 minutes to get there and didn't develop characters I like. I think this is coalescing for me at this moment. They did not give me empathy for these characters because we got like two flirting scenes with Sue and Reed. We got some glowering scenes of Victor, but I didn't see a friendship between Victor and Reed. I saw Victor being a little dickish, but I I mean, it's so random. There's, I'm sure this was cut out. Yes. There have to be cut scenes that would make me care about these characters, but I don't 
deny the studio's instinct to get to the point we know it's going to get to faster. Oh, I know there are scenes cut out because there is one of the thing I remember from the trailer. He's dropping from like an airplane and we're going to see that deal get cut here in Area 57. Yeah, the thing gets screwed because there's also a scene of Ben playing baseball. Go back to the first trailer they showed. Like none of it's in the movie. I don't want a scene of Ben playing baseball. Leave for Tim's story to do that. No, no, I think he's talking about young Ben. Yeah, or young he's talking Ben. About old- oh, yeah. okay. Ben Grimm before the thing. All right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> There's more backstory there that would humanize these characters. Really, they're as flat as the comic books. The concept, I'm sure you're loving the deliberate pace because it is such a pendulum swing from the Marvel you've had to endure, Stuart. But I can go with a cerebral story. It's just you've got to give me fleshed out characters. And this is not. I I think we're all in agreement on this. They're not fleshed out due to the way that this movie's been cut. Whether or not there was a different cut, and the director claims there was, where all of this stuff was there and it didn't take an hour, remains to be seen. I'm sure it took more than an hour. That had to be why it was cut. No, I'm not. I'm not sure of that. I'm sure that the studio mandated that they go back and make some things longer and more fun in the beginning because they're trying to insist that turning into the Fantastic Four is fantastic. And I think this director doesn't want to see it as a fantastic, fun fantasy. No, and I want to see the horror part. The one character that I feel some empathy for is Ben Grimm, the thing, because he was the lower class kid that got stuck in all of this. All the rest were scientists. They knew the risk. This is the one that feels like he is the victim. Also, because he doesn't get to ever look normal and the way he's always crying for Reed to help save him. I I feel like there was a scene earlier where that was reversed, where Reed was always calling on Ben to save him from getting bullied. And that would have made this more impactful. But I feel for Ben, like they're going to cut a deal with the military saying, hey, you help us out. We're going to find some kind of cure for all you guys and we jump ahead a year and we see that Ben has become this military tool at one point he's watching like review videos he's watching the slow-mo playback like you do like in in sports to see how you perform and there's this on the bottom it's like 43 confirmed kills and I'm like I want to see him dealing with that like he has become this killer and there's little scenes here and there where he seems remorseful but I wanted that fleshed out I felt like there's a good story we're not going to get it here though yeah And I believe that was the story Trask wanted to tell. Keep in mind, look at Chronicle. It was a story about high school kids that come in contact with an alien energy source and are turned... Initially, they have fun with it. They go flying or whatever, but eventually it turns them into monsters that they have to kill one another or die from their powers. So I feel like, yes, he is trying to remake Chronicle with the Marvel properties. And while that may piss off Marvel people, it's the movie I want. And I didn't like Chronicle. And I agree. This feels like Chronicle wearing a Marvel mask. I don't think Trank stretched himself in doing this story hardly at all. But I think it's an interesting take on the Fantastic Four. It, I want something different. I, I've seen the comedy version. I've seen the Corman yeah. production to keep the rights. I recommended Ang Lee's Hulk, and I still really like that film because it feels so different right. from every other superhero film. I want to see these used as analogies for human trials and human emotions instead of just be 
beat em ups every time. I agree. We have so many superhero movies where they tell funny jokes and do silly things and entertain all audiences. I don't want that to be the case every time. And I think that this is encouraging that they wind up with the body horror of Cronenberg here. And then the studio just, I blame Fox. They just didn't want to make that movie. And so we have this very unsatisfying act two that comes way too late and is filled with them sort of coming together, but not really. The only thing I got out of this was a feeling back to Ed Norton's Incredible Hulk. You've got Reed Richards running from the government in South America, bartering labor for parts trying to find a cure for the disease that ailed them. I don't even know why they need Reed Richards. Did they not back up all their research? Don't they just rebuild the exact same machine? Like, what is the problem here? Why do they need him to reprogram some of the code? I believe that he is the smartest man. I mean, it was stated, I think, in one of our previous Fantastic Four, he's the smartest man in the Marvel Universe. And so I buy that, that that he could come back and fix all of their problems in 10 minutes. There shouldn't be any problems, though. They should have backed up all their data. That's what I don't get, is why they can't just make an exact machine. Do they not write down notes? Okay. To me, that's not a problem to obsess over. All right. It's showing that the storytellers aren't sophisticated. They're trying to tell a story about science they don't understand. But there's a million superhero movies where they have this kind of shorthand and what have you. I mean, this is business as usual. I guess what I'm saying is, this is not much different than the messy middle so many Marvel movies wind up where you just feel like, oh, I really liked where we started, and now we've got sort of this bizarre formula that's kind of dull and and not very satisfying. And and that's what happens to the middle of this movie. I, I've been a big supporter up to this point. I can't defend this middle. This middle is very unsatisfying. I like Reed. I like that he can change his identity by stretching his face. That scene where he's introduced in Panama City buying something from a man who wants 20 and he, he does it for five and fixes his cash register. That was a nice surprise. I didn't recognize that that was going to be Miles Teller because his face is contorted in a certain way. It made me want to see what life alone for Reed would be. Again, it made me think, wow, this would be so much better if they had 13 hours and we're making this as a TV series. I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's this whole conflict with Johnny Storm. Like, he's about to be weaponized and we get this awful, talk about bad CGI in this. When he goes after that drone. Oh my God. Bad looking, bad. It's Corman level. It, it really is. Like, I couldn't believe they let that shot. That must have been a reshoot like done last week before this film came out and they had to hurry and get it in here. But okay, there's an interesting ticking clock to get Reed to help them that Johnny's about to go into the field he's about to become a soldier and his dad doesn't want him to and Reed cares about him I just feel like all of this is underdeveloped though and it never really pays off yes to do what they're doing they need hours this is the pilot to a TV series that has an aborted climax 20 minutes after the pilot Yeah, and that is a flaw from the very beginning. They need to be economical in their storytelling, knowing that had this movie been good, I'm sure they could have gone two hours and 15 minutes instead of 100 minutes. I don't think the studio wanted to make where this movie went in the middle. That's why I suspect we have this middle. It's so truncated. Yeah, it's bizarre to me. Yeah, All of a sudden, Sue just decides, I know patterns, I can find Reed, I know that he reads 20,000 leagues under the sea. We don't know what pattern she saw. Yeah, No, she ends up seeing the Captain Nemo thing. Yes, which isn't a pattern. We all knew that he liked Captain Nemo because they set that up at the beginning. She just had to look for email addresses. 
choices. Again, these don't things don't anger me. It's but it, what does anger me is that all of a sudden, okay, we've got Reed. We get a very truncated action scene because I guess we must. I guess it's earned at this point. We'll get one action scene that's aborted. That once thing drops in and you think it's going to do something, he gets a headbutt and they go back. And ten minutes later. Reed has fixed their teleportation device. I think there should have been more Ben-Reed interaction because when Ben turns, I mean, he just keeps screaming out, help me, Reed, help me, Reed, and Reed abandons him. They don't ever explore the ramifications of that beyond this scene where Ben basically headbutts them and says, I've stopped believing your bullshit a long time ago. But they never really explore it. They never flesh it out. And yeah, I am sure no scriptwriter would have left it like this. Mm-mm. It's gotta be there were things excised or things added that never paid off. Yeah. The, the Swiss Army knife. The reason why you know is they make a big statement in the beginning when Ben is saying goodbye to give him that Swiss Army knife that they had as kids to stop stripping the bolts. I don't think they ever used that. I thought they were going to use that to defeat Doom and it never comes it, back. It was there. It was set up for something. It would, had a big underline under it and they don't use it. So, yeah, whatever the screenwriters were trying to do. It is not happening in the middle and the end of this movie. I cannot believe we're at the climax of the movie when they go back to Planet Zero. I can't either. I mean, I honestly thought I had no spoilers coming in. I was going in with an open mind. But because it's a comic book movie, I figured it's going to be about two hours long. This is where in most comic book movies, the team gets their ass handed to them and has to go lick their wounds and recover while the mastermind goes and does his plan. Right. When I'm taking my notes and all of a sudden it hits me midway through what we're about to talk about. This is the end? Yes. I had exactly (laughs) the same reaction. I couldn't believe it. It was like, oh my God, this is wrapping up. This is not the middle where we're now reconfiguring the story for what's going to happen next. This is absolutely the climax. It's really like they just came in and said, yeah, it's not working. Let's just close it up now, folks. (laughs) It It truly is closing time. See you at the bar. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay at Fantastic Four. (laughs) Yeah, what's so weird, so... They rebuild the transporter. NASA astronauts go through this time. Dr. Doom shows up. He's like, help me. He's limping. I don't even know why he goes back for a second, but he does go back to Earth for a second. And he's got that wonderful cloak. I mean, they're- I don't know where that cloak came from. They're evoking the Dr. Doom look from the comics, which I kind of found cool, but- he didn't go to that realm with a green blanket. I got a theory here, guys. I do think that when we see him, he's limping. There's no more green pools. He's used up all the energy. He keeps needing more and more power. He does need help by going back to Earth and realizes it's full of energy that he can then use to make himself more powerful. So I think that's what gives him the idea to turn Earth into a black hole sucking battery, basically. I'll tell you this. I like your idea much better than what the <laughs> film gives me. Where he's an eco-terrorist? Yeah, he's an eco-terrorist in the final cut. He's like, I will destroy your world so I can save mine. Meaning he's saving them from the people of Earth. I don't know how he's saving his world by littering on it. It seems like everything he's pulling from the black hole is going into a massive landfill on this new planet. Cars and all this other shit, but... There's a lot of lines said when he encounters Tim Blake Nelson, who the scene was funny because in some of the reshoots, both their names were changed. Tim Blake Nelson's character 
was originally going to be named Harvey Elder, a.k.a. The Mole Man. Oh, (laughs) The Mole Man, yeah. They even used him for the Ultimate Comics. They brought him back. Too corny to have the space race, but we could have Mole Man. I feel really bad for Tim Blake Nelson, because he was supposed to be the leader. That didn't pan out. (laughs) Now he was supposed to be the Mole Man. That didn't pan out. But after that scene comes, honestly, my other favorite moment of the film and it's a glimpse into a movie i really want to see yeah but don't where victor is like now in scanners you talked about cronenberg there's one that you probably weren't <laughs> necessarily thinking of he's going around making people's heads explode i was actually surprised that this was in a pg-13 movie like yeah they, it's in dark hallways but there is blood splattering everywhere and i was shocked that they were able to get away with this yeah it makes you wish that this was going to be the rest of the movie. I mean, it is, but you wish there was more movie to explore this kind of malevolence because it is a stunner. It is the kind of thing we don't normally get. You know, normally it's like Yellow Jacket holding a little girl in a bedroom or something and that's it. But here, no, people are going to die violently, graphically, in mass. Whole hallways of guards end up splattered on walls and it's scary. And I think, you know, in a Superman three way, Doom looks scary. His suit has fused with his face and he does remind me of that poor woman that got sucked up into the computer in Superman three. I don't know. He kind of reminded me of Ultron. He's silver. He's got the glowing lights coming out of him. And the fact that they chose to go very comic-y and his mouth doesn't move when he talks. And I just don't like the voice actors cast. When they're human, I really like Victor Von Doom and Ben. Once they become CGI creations, and make no mistake, this Doom was all CGI, just like Thing, I just don't like the portrayal. It seems to undermine the character. I didn't have a problem with Thing's CGI. I actually liked some of the shots where you could actually see the rocks separating as he breathed in and out. I also didn't have a problem, funny enough, with him having no pants. In those stills, he looks funny. In this film, it wasn't an issue that he didn't have pants. I actually was obsessed with Thing Crotch. Anytime. <laughs> At the end of the movie, there's a scene where Thing is standing and Reed is sitting and things right behind him all I could see was thing crotch no well that that says something about you (laughs) if they created a suit that could inhibit the powers from that world which they do in the comic why can't they supersize it for Ben Grimm They do come up with reasons to put pants on him in the comics. I Again, not a problem for me here. I will say, though, I wish Doom was more practical. I wanted to like... I didn't have a problem with him being this suit that fused together with his skin. I just wish it looked better here. It just it has no weight to it. It has no scariness to it. I wanted to fear him. He makes heads blow up, but I, when I looked at him, I wasn't scared. I thought he looked creepy, but I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I'm, I'm not going to oversell it. I mean, this whole world, all these characters are goofy. I'm just impressed they've been able to get as much gravitas out of it as they have been. I, I, I'm the, been the guy that's been saying no one can make Fantastic Four work. They just stop making them. And when I look at this movie, I can see when I squint really hard, <laughs> I can see that movie that I wanted. And I didn't think could exist. And it may be helpful to squint for this climax. I don't understand it. I guess it's best you just go with superhero comic book logic because once they go back to Planet Zero and Doom is going to make some portal that makes a black hole, like they've dropped that line a few times that this could be turned into a black hole, destroy the Earth. But he's making rocks rise and circle. He's more like the thing than Doctor Doom. He controls a lot of rocks in this movie. I'm just going to say this ending is 
horrible. Just one <laughs> of the <laughs> absolute worst comic book movie endings of all time. You say go with comic book logic, but it doesn't even have that. You that's all you can do. I mean No, no, but it's not even that. It is just merely like a foreigner coming in who doesn't understand English but trying to put words together. This is somebody who has heard that superhero movies end with a big fight, so let's do this, but doesn't understand that the fight should mean something that there should be evolution of characters through the fight that if you don't care about their conflict i mean victor and reed were they friends let's have that at one point victor says i envisioned a different future for us sue what what did you envision it's not in the movie well it was in the movie that he came back we saw him he had been living apart he came back not to help out on the project he came back to win her over so we knew that there was a thing there was a jealousy moment it was there No, it was one line. Will Sue be there? That is it. It is not there. There's no love triangle in the film. There's a scene where Reed and Sue are laughing about something. They're not even flirting with each other, but Victor sees it from afar and glowers and gets jealous. I mean... Yeah, but it's not developed. If you are, again, squinting to see the bottom line of the eye chart and you see a couple lines and you're guessing it's an E. But yes, but you're sitting here saying that this is character development development worse than so many movies that had none of that and had none of these kinds of performances that's what i take umbrage with is that people want to write this off as one of the worst no way no this is a fine fight it just doesn't have any dramatic tension we haven't seen this team fight together before so whether they win or lose it doesn't mean anything maybe they were naturally a great team and they could beat doom who knows because we haven't seen them fight before they're not a team dr storm has been killed and his dying wish is that his children come together does he get it is this wish fulfillment i can't even really tell yeah no clue about that and yeah If the effects were better, and they are truthfully god-awful here, they're like sci-fi anaconda shark. They're La Madra. This is Blade all over again. Yes, exactly. La Madra looked like You guys like Blade. I didn't. No, I did not. And I didn't like La Madra. To me, this is just this horse shit we always get with superheroes. No, but uh, again, I'm talking about the effects. The effects are terrible. If the effects were par, and these are sub-sub-par, and if Mara Rooney's wig looked like her real hair, and it doesn't, it looks like it came out of some Bride of Frankenstein thing, then it would be a perfectly acceptable climax to the movie we didn't watch. (laughs) I'm not trying to defend the second half of this movie. I'm defending the first half of this movie. The second half of the movie is cursory and undeveloped and surprisingly does not bring them together as a team. I would have thought that everybody would have worked to give a cut in which these four decide that they need to work together. But did they work together? Yeah, they kind of do things coordinated. It's real dark, so it's hard to tell. I mean, I know that Johnny Storm's throwing fireballs and Sue's got a bubble because all these people are being sucked from Earth into the black hole, and so she's protecting them by putting that bubble layer. Well, no, no. After that, she hides Ben. She's able to actually project her invisibility on different objects. So Reed distracts Doom while Ben sneaks up so he can punch him into the black hole or whatever. I didn't even notice how he... I just knew all of a sudden he was disintegrating. (laughs) Well, here's my thing. It feels like this is supposed to be... The core of the story is supposed to be about Ben and Reed and their friendship and them going apart and then coming back together with the way this ending goes. But like all these characters, nothing gets developed and it doesn't have that impact. 
And I'll agree with you, Stuart, 100%. There are elements of this movie that look like, if done different, could make the best Fantastic Four film. But you can't defend the first half of a film that sets shit up that never pays off. Just because the beginning looked like it might go somewhere good, but it doesn't, doesn't make it a good half. And just because a movie has an unsatisfying ending doesn't mean you should throw away the first half and say it's the worst superhero film ever. That is just group bully thing. That's just the culture we live in where people all decide on the internet one day to beat up on something. I This, this movie doesn't deserve the hate. Don't you think this movie is one of the least professional films for Hollywood to release in a long time? Don't you think that the lack of cohesion is amateurish at a level that doesn't even deserve to be shown this should be shelved like Corman's. I no, I I don't even know what you're talking about. To me this is as dissatisfying as a lot of movies. Thor 2? This is Thor 2 all over again. Way better than Wolverine Origins. Yeah, I can name easily 15 movies that this trump. Can you name any that are this disjointed and this aborted? This honestly feels like they released a 6-month fetus in theaters. All right, here's, I think, where the difference is. While we're both agreeing that this movie is discombobulated, I don't feel like it's that discombobulated. I'm seeing through lines through the end of the movie. It's just, you don't feel them. When you watch this at the end, you're not like, oh, triumphant. You're not rooting for these people. There's no investment in this team. When we see them here at the end, and they're, I mean, they're literally just being handed a laboratory and being like, yay, I'm, I'm like, nobody cares. Nobody cares what you're doing. No one cares that they don't even say the name of their team at the end of this film. I'll tell you what. Don't take my word on it. For the first half of this movie, Jacob, you and I sat in front of two women (laughs) that were a giggle machine. I don't think they had ever seen a movie before because (laughs) everything was a delight. I mean, the power outage goes out when the kids are playing with the science and there was not a in the single second half of the movie. Not a single one. This movie stops functioning in the second half of this movie. But I don't think it's a travesty. I really don't think that this is abysmal how you're characterizing it. I, uh, To me, it's kind of what happens in so many of these superhero projects. I Honestly, I'm debating about whether it's better than, yeah, Thor 2 or, you know, Ant-Man. Those were misfires from the beginning. But again, at least we saw a movie that felt like it was the same from beginning to end. I truthfully believe this should have been shelved. This is Brenda star level debacle. And that's what makes me say it's the worst. There are flares of genius, but in such a mess that I can't appreciate them. The reason I say worst ever is because it's simply, even Catwoman comes together oh, come better. On. No, I'm not saying it's, I'm not You're saying, saying because by being cohesive, that's better than having good ideas. And I'd rather have a discombobulated movie full of interesting concepts than a homogenous piece of shit. I would rather have bland than interesting ideas that never pay off. That's more frustrating that there are great ideas here like Victor going homicidal and Reed stretched apart, but it never goes anywhere. Had that been seen to fruition, it could have been one of the best. This could have been The Dark Knight. I don't know if Trank could have made it. I don't know if the studio did it. I don't know who did what, but I see flashes of genius, but in such a mess that it only serves to... Function as a cock tease. 
No, no, no. I, 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 I guess I'm going to side with Stuart. I was kind of in the middle, but listening to this debate, I would rather deal with moments of genius and someone that has ideas and who knows what happened. Maybe he couldn't flush them out. Maybe the studio got involved. I'd rather watch an interesting failure than a mediocre action film. But this isn't an interesting failure. No, I think it is. I like the Cronenberg elements, the body horror stuff in it. I like the beginning. That's like five minutes all told. Yeah, but it's a whole concept that he goes with. There are moments in there, and I'm able to appreciate that more than something that's just abysmal throughout, but at least it's coherent. I prefer something professionally made versus something that is so discombobulated that it has five minutes of genius and 95 minutes of confusion and aborted plot lines and characters that are completely flat. And yes, I'm not going to say Josh Trank's film would have been great. It might have been utter shit. But the studio meddling, the combative relationship between the director and the studio, the final cut of this is truly, truly unwatchable. Well, you did watch it, so that's not true. (laughs) But I didn't see it twice. (laughs) That's saying something for you. Yeah, I see almost every now playing movie twice. I really want to get a grasp on it. Here, oh, it's... Yeah, I got the grasp. Yeah, it's a simplistic movie. There's no reason to see it twice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's like trying to get a grasp on wet spaghetti noodles. There's nothing to hold on to. Uh, now you know how I feel every time we wrap this up. Let's wrap it up. So, Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Fantastic Four, the 2015 edition? Jacob. I was tempted to recommend it because I went in with the lowest of expectations. I was dreading it, and I saw this for free, and I was still dreading it. But... <sighs> Yeah, it is a mess of a film. I don't know. To me, this doesn't commit any greater crimes than uh, most mediocre action films or superhero films. It's got poor storytelling. Yeah, most of them have that. or A lot of them do. Things don't pay off. Obviously, there's so much meddling going on in here. But there were enough elements that I liked that... I wasn't hating this film. This this film gets way more hate than it deserves. I'll just say that. But it's still a not recommend because it is a mess of a film. Things don't pay off. The stuff that would have been the most entertaining, the most interesting to see, like the body stuff, like the heads exploding, all that kind of stuff, gets so short-shrifted here that, yeah, it's it's a not recommend. But no, this is not a 9%er on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I mean, I tend to grade on a curve. When something is getting better... And I definitely think that this is getting better as a franchise. It's getting closer to something I would want to watch. I never got into Tim Story's world. Poor Roger Corman never gave it a chance. I mean, that's not even worth considering. That you're putting it on the same page as that, I can't understand. This has real promise. And for half the movie, it worked. I wasn't bored. I liked it. I do think some people are going to have problems because of the lack of humor and maybe the disrespect of comic book versions of the story that they like but for a horrific sequel to chronicle it's pretty damn good for half the movie and then there's the rest and so it's a real stretch i mean it's a stretch to call this a recommend it's stretching further than reed could ever go i think but i do think about how much i admire certain elements and i do resent how much it's being defiled by people uh, for reasons that seem petty That really, have they looked at some of these movies like Ant-Man and Ultron that were just as messy? I mean, really? I don't see a huge drop in quality between the proper Marvel movies that are in the middle and this movie. They came close with this one, but 
God, it's not a good movie, but it is an admirably interesting failure. I mean, I do think Ang Lee Hulk, whatever you think about that, that's probably what you're going to think about this. I didn't give that a green arrow either, so I guess I'll go with red arrow, but I don't feel good about it. And I certainly don't think this is much worse than Ant-Man or Ultron. I recommended Ang Lee's Hulk. I think there's interesting stuff there, and I feel like that's Ang Lee's vision from beginning to end. Even though it had a really slow beginning, it had some great moments and a cohesive through line. This, they shouldn't have held to this release date. Something great could have come out of here. But what I see is a beautiful tree that died as a sapling. It could have grown into a majestic oak and it was just cut down. And so you see a couple branches and go, wow, that would have been beautiful. Just because I see glimpses of a movie I want to see in a movie that doesn't make any sense, doesn't appeal to me. And Marjorie commented as we left the theater, she has never seen a movie with me in my 15 years with her where I just was slack-jawed, hand on my head, looking like I was in a classroom lecture for the first half, because everyone knows where they're going, but they just don't develop it enough to get to that point. This movie's FF don't stand for Fantastic Four. I mean, this is a faded facsimile of fantastical fiction. From its false framework to the fatiguing finale, it's a fruitless fiasco. The faithless fanatics can finally flaunt their frothing fury. The finicky futzing with the film's flow leaves a fallible formula that fills me with fathomless fury. This is a fantastic flop. Not recommend. Glad it bombed. Don't want to see another. I, I, how funny. I mean, maybe you and I will just always be on the opposite ends of things, Arnie. But I actually feel like they could definitely fix this in a sequel. You don't think they could fix some of this in a sequel? You just said that there were good stuff here. I don't know if they want to fix it. I don't know if Fox wants to fix it. That's the problem. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, I don't think they're going to try. No, this is salvageable. Like the junk in the Grimm's junkyard. Yeah, you could take something here and fix it up and make it workable. Yeah, they could get a dark night out of this. And you didn't like Batman Begins. So I do think that they could take something you didn't maybe even strongly like, but take what was working and really with the right vision, the right money, the right elements make this better. I mean, I see the potential. But I think the pendulum would continue to swing in Fox's direction. And what you'd end up with is far more X-Men The Last Stand than David Cronenberg. I'll tell you this. I didn't like Chronicle. I really, really, really regret seeing this. But because of those glimpses, I will look at what Josh Trank does next. If he's allowed to make a movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't Star know Wars. if there will be a next. Yeah, I, that is true. Obviously, Trank doesn't want to work in the type of environment that Marvel Studios creates and that Fox is trying to create. Edgar Wright knew when it was time to step away. Trank didn't. This is the result. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, we can't really have an opinion because we weren't there on set, but I can see everyone being in the wrong there. I can bet Trank was a real prima donna. I can bet Fox undercut his creative vision. I can believe Marvel wanted to poison this, not giving it a chance with the fans. I do just feel like so many people have kind of screwed the pooch here. But honestly, the funny thing is I'd be cool with the second one. And I'd be cool if they tied this with X-Men. I'm still not convinced they might not bring these guys in to an X-Men sequel in the future. That's what I could see working best, honestly. Just not giving them... I don't know what the licensing agreement means. I know they have to put out a movie every X number of years to keep it away from Marvel. I also hear rumors that 
Executive changes at Fox have led to rumors of possibly a Fox-Marvel deal, the yep. same way Sony and Marvel teamed up, in which case you'd be rebooting the X-Men and Fantastic Four. You would not be bringing them part and parcel, but they're looking at, we're losing Wolverine. We need to do something to rebuild an X-Men universe anyway. But truthfully, I haven't lost faith in Fox. The best part of the entire Fantastic Four theater-going experience was the Deadpool trailer up top. Oh, really? I, yeah. I'd do anything not to see that movie. It was truthfully the most enjoyable frames that I watched that evening. Oh, it looks horrible. Please don't make me see that. This The next one on our docket, we're spared superhero movies for six more months, but yeah, I've got that next time we go. Ryan Reynolds, one of your favorites. That's exactly what I don't want to see in a superhero movie. Some Ryan Reynolds cocky, smarmy bullshit while he kills people in an R rating. I think I love Fox because they're making it R rated. I don't think Disney would ever do that. Yeah, it will be their edge. is If it can find an audience, then it will feel more graphic and stronger, I presume, than anything Marvel will ever dare show us. But I don't know that that means that it's going to be good. I mean, more blood is not the solution. Not necessarily, but that movie's tone and attitude just look fresh and a new take on the superhero film. I like Deadpool's animated eyes. Yeah, those were cool. <laughs> that's the, I think that's the best thing I got to say for it so far. Yeah, give me six months, some time away from superheroes. I think we're all a little fatigued by them. I know I am. We got stuff to watch. We got a lot more spies and uh, grounded entertainment. More car chases coming up. Definitely. Yes. Next week, we start our transporter retrospective. You can see our entire fall schedule, including our donation drive with the Quentin Tarantino films and Hunger Games and so much more, as well as our fall where we're doing transporter and Star Wars so you can find all of that at nowplayingpodcast.com, where in our fantastic archives, you can find reviews of all the Fantastic Four films, reviews of every Marvel film, including some that are worse than this. Man-Thing. Absolutely Man-Thing. As well as movies that were better than this. The entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. The entire X-Men series. Except Wolverine Origins. Yeah, except, I'm like, no, oh, better than this. Better than uh, there's this. There's no point. You, you're, you're, make, you're stating only your opinion. I just want that to be clear. There's no way this is worse than most of those superhero movies you made me watch. There's no way this is worse than Hasselhoff. <laughs> Don't make him blow you. You're going to give him an aneurysm. You, Reb Brown. You. You can find reviews of all of that in our archives. Plus reviews of non-comic book movies such as Terminator, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, all the Star Trek films, all the James Bond films. Start listening now as we build up to Spectre. And we just finished all the Mission Impossible films. All this can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. So Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And until next time, flame out like this franchise. <laughs> Yeah, I'm almost tempted to take it off the 2017 count. Yeah, it's, it's not coming back, no. no. It's not like you to run away from a challenge, Victor. Yes, you're right. Considering all that has happened here tonight, I'll take what I can get. I'm going to enjoy killing you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the now-playing Fantastic Four Retrospective Series. I will no longer serve.
is the end for us both. Come to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review. That's not funny. What am I supposed to do in the meantime? Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can hear our reviews of all the Marvel Comics-based films, including The Avengers, X-Men, Howard the Duck, and Blade. Now picture that, but everywhere. As well as reviews of other film series like Terminator, Star Trek, Mission Impossible, The Fast and the Furious, and Predator. Find hundreds of in-depth movie reviews at NowPlayingPodcast.com. This is by far the coolest thing you have ever done. Damn, I've been waiting to do that. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Same old Reed, always stretching, reaching for the stars with the weight of the world on his back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. So what do you guys think about trying to get an endorsement? Get us a private jet. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Thank you. It's very generous of you. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. What do you have against capitalism? Now Playing's Fantastic Four retrospective series is edited by Arnie. Did you really build this in your garage? Mm-hmm. Now this is elegant. Now Playing credit narration by Brock. He does the talking, I do the welcome. Got it? Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or 20th Century Fox. This isn't a negotiation, it's a notification. The Marvel characters in all of the Marvel Universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Marvel Publishing Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. We're dealing with something highly resourceful. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Inganza Media Incorporated. Don't even think about it. Never do. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved. It's time to end this. No, it's clobbering time. Fleas Area 51, where there, it's Area 57. Okay. Please, Ari, my, my handwriting. Flame on! When Dr. Doom is covered in this stuff, he, he, he is no longer victim. Victim. Victim.